This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Late Boomers, our podcast guide to creating your third act with style, power, and impact. Hi, I'm Kathy Worthington. And I'm Mary Elkins. Join us as we bring you conversations with successful entrepreneurs, entertainers, and people with vision who are making a difference in the world. Everyone has a story, and we'll take you along for the ride on each interview, recounting the journey our guests have taken to get where they are, inspiring you to create your own path to success. Let's get started. I'm Kathy Worthington. Welcome to our latest episode of Late Boomers. Today we have a special guest, Tessa Lord, who is a painter, sculptor, and author who has led a fascinating life. And I'm Mary Elkins. We will be talking with Tessa about her journey and her philosophy and her art. She modeled for a wonderful bronze sculpture, Civitas, when she was 43 years old. Welcome, Tessa. Well, hello. <laughs> hello, my fellow goddesses. Yeah, thank you. We always like to ask our guests about how they started out and what their path was to where they find themselves now. And your story is a long and intricate one. But can you tell us about your beginnings in art and your education? Well, it is such a long and beautiful journey with many, many detours and what a perfect name for me to be sharing my story, the late boomers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because I'm, exactly. I'm not on the third act. I'm on the 30th act <laughs> of, of my amazing mystery tour. But I, I started off just knowing that my life had to be amazing. I just had like a visitation when I was a small child being raised by very ordinary suburban people. And, uh, but there was conflict in the home and there was alcoholism, which is always such a drag, you know, little kids escape. And so I escaped into my fantasies and my fantasies told me, oops, that's my computer booting up. And um, my fantasies told me that my life was going to be nothing like what I was experiencing then as a child. And the voice, it was like right outside my ear, but I knew it was my inner self. I never thought, oh, you know, I'm being haunted or, or what is it? Because my inner voice, I feel, is God. You know, it's our angel inside of us that connects with the great, great, wondrous mystery called God. So when I had this visitation, I just said, okay, well, let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> and I, actually, from a very early age, I started running away. And I was obsessed with just not being content with a situation if it was not comfortable. So I started running away, first physically, and then mentally, and eventually spiritually. You know, I became a meditator early in life, because to me, that is the ultimate way to not run away, but to run toward and be fulfilled. So I was a very early seeker, and I just totally loved being transported into the world of the sacred and the divine. Mm -hmm. I hope that answers your question because every time I think about it, I have a different answer because <laughs> I write oh, about this wonderful. a lot. Yeah. But what was your, what was your early education then? Well, 
I was raised in a family where my father was agnostic and my mother was a very staunch Catholic, but she was excommunicated from marrying this heathen, which happened a lot in those days. So I had mixed messages and my education was basically conflict, conflict, conflict. What do I do about conflict? And so the education, okay, I went to a a little bit of college, a a lot of art school. And then I believe the education really began when I left all formal education behind and just started living the life of an artist at the age of 20. That happens to a lot of us, I think. We get our main education when we leave school. Right. Um, I noticed on your resume that you... um, did botanical illustrations for Harvard for 10 years. And I want to tell our listeners that they have to check out your website because these are great. Um, How did you discover that opportunity? Well, you know, it's just the serendipity of life. I think all of us have our own spectacular stories and it's who we met and what energy we were greeted with. And it's just like whenever anybody asks me, well, who are your teachers? I really don't like to answer that because I think that people have to discover their own. And I think that if if someone is prejudiced by saying, oh, her teacher was this and that, well, then they think they are either going to be gypped because they didn't get the same teaching as I did. But in my case, being a botanical illustrator was handed to me by being a very good friend with a PhD candidate at Harvard. And he's passed away now, Timothy Plowman who is considered the world expert on coca, which is the plant from which cocaine was derived. And and he was studying at Harvard with um, world-renowned now, and he was then too, Schultes, R.E. Schultes, who is considered the father of ethnobotany and really the study of shamanic and sacred plants. And today, of course, this is a big thing, a big topic. People are talking about plant medicines, ayahuasca this, and people are using that, and mushrooms this. And Michael Pollan's book, Change Your Mind, which I thought was terrific, except he didn't talk about meditation enough. Because, of course, plant medicines have been used for eons, but we can get to the same place and safer and more steadily with less results of crash and burn if we meditate. So it was my life that brought me to be a botanical illustrator and I loved it, just loved it. Fantastic. Yeah. I also saw that you were, our listeners are gonna love this, you were on the crew of Jaws as props yes. and special effects. And what was that experience <laughs> like? And how, how did that happen? <laughs> Well, once again, the adventure of life took me to Martha's Vineyard, dressed so happens when Steven Spielberg and his crew showed up from Hollywood. And I've always been um, a person, an artist who works in all medium. Like you define me as a painter. I'm not. I always say I'm an artist. Mm -hmm. And if anybody asks, well, what medium? I'll say, well, what medium are we talking about today? Because I've used most mediums. And so I was hired as um, one of two women on the crew, the work crew of Jaws. And I did specialty things like I actually distressed the jaw catching boat that was a brand new Chris Craft. And I distressed it to make it look very, very old. And um, somewhere along the line, they asked me to do a screen test because in the original book, there was a character, a woman 
who was the girlfriend of the shark catcher, I think played by Roy, Sh- Roy Schreier or something like that. Mm-hmm. I forget the, the actor's name. And she was almost like a witch. And they thought I was a little witchy. And I thought, ooh, this is weird. I got kind of freaked out that I was asked to audition for it. But I was working on the crew doing a lot of the special effects. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you didn't great. do it as an actress as well. Well, I had my calling, that's for sure. And then my husband and I, he's a filmmaker. We did together a movie in which I did get to be uh, an acting part of The Woods Nymph, which is like Mother Nature, who is a fictional character in the movie Lithium Springs. I don't know if you saw that on my website or not. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But I am a bit of a show off because I love (laughs) speaking. And so whenever I have speaking engagements, it's it's always an opportunity to use another art form, which I think is communication. Mm-hmm. So true. Um, you've lived in a number of places. Can you tell us about living in the West Indies and what that was like and how that happened? Well, like many people today, I was distressed about the political situation back in the Vietnam era. And I was one of these people who listened when they said, love it or leave it. And today, if anybody starts complaining about the politics, I'll say, hey, why don't you go somewhere and really live in a dictatorship, in a very hard situation where it's hard to be free? And I, and I recommend everybody to do that, because to complain about a government is really lazy. <laughs> and to do something about it means get off your butt and spread love and, and stop with the hatred and stop with the arguing. So I left the States in the... Uh, early 70s, and I did not return until the early 80s. And the only reason I returned was because two hurricanes wiped out the business that I had started then, which was an inter-island fruits and roots vegetable shipping company. (laughs) And I I love working with farmers. I love working with plants. I love working with agriculture. And and that was a natural thing to do to support myself because I've always lived to make creative things. Uh, objects. I am a creative. And so I've always had different money-making jobs to support my habit. Mm, That's beautiful. And I also know that you lived in both Israel and New York City as an artist in both of those places. So how did those experiences affect you and how were they different or similar? Right. Well, Israel, I fled to after the hurricanes destroyed my businesses in in the Caribbean. And I was living at that point in Dominica, which is smack dab in the middle of the Caribbean between two French islands, Guadeloupe and Martinique. And also I was doing business in La Republica Dominicana, which is called the Dominican Republic. So people always get those two mixed up. And where I live sometimes seems to be almost karmic because in Israel, uh, I went there because of um, a job situation. And I was offered to, to, to be an artist in residence. And, and I had wonderful experiences, but it was very constricting because everywhere you went, they had terrorism and they had uh, to search your packages when you went to the post office with gifts to send home and the frisk you for weapons when you went into the movie. So it was very, very tense. What city and did you live in? I lived right outside of Tel Aviv in a, a beautiful um, beautiful, very safe place called Herzliya Petuach, but it was not safe in terms of you could not leave like a package of 
groceries that I had extra, I left them on the street because I'm used to in America, if we have something extra, we can give it to the homeless. Well, the bomb squad showed up because, of course, you leave anything in Israel and the the bomb squad will show up. But uh, I had a wonderful relationship with the sea because Hertalia is right on the med. But the Arab nations were really very shifty characters and they would pump out their bilges so that all this oil slick came onto the beaches of Tel Aviv and all the surrounding uh, towns, Hertalia. And anybody who's been to Israel knows it's terrible because they have to have these big troughs with kerosene every time you go on the beach. Just imagine that in in California. Every time you go surfing, you have to clean your tar off the, the soles of your feet because the enemy is out there pumping out their oily bilges. So it was a very tense feeling living in Israel at that time. Frightening. Frightening. But you had been hired as an artist in residence, which is really interesting that they needed. Yeah, that. it was it was nice. It was one of those things where you apply for a grant and you and you're awarded. And it's, it's very nice to be supported like that. And from there, I went to New York City, where it was the first time I ever lived in New York City. I had been educated at the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston. So I was very used to Boston. But New York always seemed so, so scary to me. So from Israel, New York was a piece of cake. <laughs> it, was, it was easy to live in New York after having had the experience of, of really living in fear most of the time in Israel. And, uh, so would I this be in the 80s or 90s you went to New York? It, it would be in the early 80s, early 80s. And um, I did some camping in the... In the uh, the the desert part that was eventually given back to Egypt. And so that was very nice in the Sinai, it's called. So that part is now back to Egypt. But I was uh, I had the opportunity to do some really wilderness camping where most people did not get to go to because I'm a wilderness kind of gal. And I, I really love camping and doing without all the accoutrements of the material world and knowing that I can be self-sufficient with just the bare rudiments of life. So that was a wonderful experience before they, they had to give it back to Egypt. Mm-hmm. Wow. And the best diving in the world is in the Red Sea. I'm a I've diver heard. also. Oh I've my gosh. Heard. The wondrous, wondrous uh, underwater world of the Red Sea is quite remarkable. Wow. What about New York? What was that like? That must have been a, a change though. Well, New York was really proving to myself, I think all artists have to go to Mecca. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, if you do not go to some major city and uh, throw yourself into the art world, well, how can anybody really call themselves a professional artist? Even if we don't make our living entirely from the sales of our art, to be involved in the community of artists, to know what it's like to go to uh, all the fabulous openings, to mingle, with dealers and collectors and group shows and, and to live that life was very important to me. And, um, and I did that for several years just to prove that I could do it. And, and I feel it was a, an important part of my education, but I wouldn't want to live there <laughs> again. But you were, you were able to exhibit in galleries, your, your own art at the time. Yes. Yes. Because oh. at that time, yeah, but my art has always been, uh, what I call visionary. It has been labeled different things, outsider art, and brute art, but really visionary because my 
work is like from the dream state. And at that time, um, the early 80s, everybody was into uh, the, the apocalyptic, very dreadfully negative or minimalism. It was the tail end of minimalism and getting into also the tail end of conceptualism. But it was very dark stuff and very heady stuff. And, and my stuff didn't fit in. And, you know, I really had to have my bubble burst because I thought when I was ready to show my visions the world would be ready to receive them, but that wasn't the case. So I had to learn how to deal with being rejected. I'll be quite honest. And I did not want to just change my art to be like everybody else's art. So I just kept with my style. And that really represents to me, like you mentioned, Civitas, the, the goddess that I posed for. Civitas is a beautiful sculpture that Audrey Flacked uh, the, the wonderful artist, she does realistic goddesses in the, in the modern version. She was representing what the goddess energy means in today's civilization. And I think that that's always been the motivating force of my life also. And so you have to be true to yourself. You have to first find out what it is that you're being true to. And for me, it was always a spiritual connection not um, to be successful, not to be the most popular. And so those years in New York really taught me that it was more important to be true to myself than to be, you know, a, a gallery darling. Ah, so, very mm -hmm. true. Mm -hmm. You married your husband and you mentioned him earlier. Uh, he's a filmmaker, Carter Lord. And you mm -hmm. collaborated with him on a film and a podcast and a family. Can you tell right. us about that, how you met and how that? Right. Well, happened. I'll start with the family first, because he was a single parent. And this was back in 90 when I first met him. And he was the very first person I ever met who worked at home. Now, of course, after the pandemic, everybody's working at home. But Carter was the very first person I ever met. And he also was the very first person, man, that I met who was awarded by the state of Florida, full custody of his two little darlings. And they were a four and seven at the time when we got married. So when we decided to marry, I thought to myself, what? Me, 44 years old, a mother? a stepmother, which is even like more of a challenge. And I had to think long and hard about that because I didn't want to jip these kids. These kids deserved all the love and care and attention. And I actually documented this whole story in my book called Zen Love. It tells the whole thing. And what I decided to do was, okay, I'm going to marry this wonderful man only because he is the wonderful man he is. And I will give up making art for a year and I will learn how to nurture not only these kids, but myself, because I was living on the edge. I was a typical fly by night, like grab a meal whenever I can. And the first thing I learned with kids is breakfast, lunch and dinner. It's like, you're, <laughs> you got to be kidding, right? All three. <laughs> I was so surprised. So, so I had to baby steps because of course, any woman who has pregnancies knows it takes nine months and you get used to this and you get used to all the different stages of changing diapers. But the way my body is, 
Um, I'm also a yogi since I was a teenager because I have scoliosis pretty badly. And scoliosis made it so I could never have a pregnancy. Mm. But I always knew that there were going to be two children coming to me. I just knew I had this, this awareness. So when Carter came into my life, it was like, oh, where have you been? I've been waiting for you. But yet uh, giving up uh, making art for one year and I did it and I learned how to nurture the kids. And by the time I started making art again, I was just so energized and so able to juggle all these wonderful things of being a, a homemaker and a, and a wife and a mother and also an exhibiting gallery artist. At that time, I was showing a lot of work in New Orleans and Santa Fe. So I had to travel a lot, too. Wow. It was a busy time. And so Carter and I started making a film when we first got married, which was Lithium Springs, which is an echo fable comedy. It's really a wonderful movie. And it's, it basically is all about environmentalism, but it's done from a comedic standpoint about looking for the real lost treasure of Ponce de Leon. <laughs> mm. Is it available? Oh, yeah. It is. Carter, Carter has a website, carterlord.com. And oh. I believe I believe you can stream the movie right from there. It's a pretty new website that he's been uh, revising. And he, he had made an earlier movie called The Enchanted, which is also a wonderful movie that uh, played quite a bit. And it's it's actually a cult favorite among some people. It's quite a few hits on YouTube. Uh-huh. And today we are the podcast team called Z-Lord. And I named the podcast after myself because I signed my artwork since I've been married for 30 years now, Z-Lord. And it's a pun on my name, Teza, which is spelled with a Z, Lord. And so we have been podcasting. This is our third year now. Congratulations. For you, yeah. yeah. We just hit our one year anniversary. We're a little past that now. I saw that. So, Congratulations. Too. Yeah. It takes a lot Thank of commitment, you. doesn't it? Yeah. It does. Yeah. It does. And we're enjoying it thoroughly. And it's wonderful to meet people. Because and... we meet such exciting people like you. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I want to interview you guys and say, how did you start your podcast? But we, we are very low tech at Z Lord. We, we just use an iPhone, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it sounds great. That's good. Yeah. I can't wait to listen to it. I haven't had a chance to yet. But um, I wanted to ask you also, you have taught yoga at juvenile yes. prisons. And yes. what was that like? And how did the children respond to that? Oh, well, there again, it's a big, beautiful story. And that was my book called In the Eye. It's all describing how I decided to do this and what occurred there to earn that title in the eye, because not only was I teaching these girls who were lapping up yoga with pleasure from the very first minute they learned how to breathe, because some of these gals just never got it that oxygen has to be, you know, intentionally brought in. And so when they're taught to use a, a diaphragmatic breath, which is the yogic way and the way singers breathe, they were just tripping out. They said, what, what are these sparkles in my head? I said, that's, that's called oxygen. <laughs> You're being oxygenated. <laughs> and, oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. Love Instant transformation. When you see people, young girls especially, who have never been able to 
elevate themselves, to, to empower themselves through their own bodies by doing a pose and see what joy they get out of knowing that, wow, they can do that themselves once they learn how to put their arms and their legs in certain positions and with ease and not hurting themselves. And then they can go to their rooms. We didn't call them cells, but they were cells. These girls, it was hardcore lockup with security guards and, you know, the, the razor um, stuff on top of the fence. So they couldn't escape. They were, their lives were transformed. So much so that when I went away on a vacation after teaching for a couple years, finally, we, my family went away for a vacation. The, somehow the, the disgruntled girls in uh, the lockup decided to have a, a riot. And when I came back, a lot of the girls had been arrested right in juvenile detention because they had the riot. And the only ones who did not participate in the riot were the yoga girls. Aww. And that is amazing testament to the power that yoga brings to anybody, whatever age, just the, the calmness, the ability to accept even diversities. I mean, what, what, what could be worse than to actually be in prison? There's <sighs> nothing much worse than that for a teenager, especially. Um, so instant, have you, instant. Have you heard from any of these girls since she stopped uh, doing that? I have. They contact me on Facebook. And um, I have a, a presence there as an author. It's just, uh, and then I also have a personal page, but I have a wonderful group that's a private group, a sacred group, because I do rituals and it's called We Are One Love. Mm. And it's, it's a beautiful group. It's we with the spell W-E-R, capital R, and the letter, I mean, the number one, and then you spell out love. We Are One Love. And because it's a private group, people feel safe. And you can ask for prayers, for instance, or you can just share that you're going through a tough time. And the main thing that I contribute is these uh, video rituals where I, I demonstrate how you can get into this state of love, no matter what mood you're experiencing, by just having the intention, by doing ritual. So I imagine a lot of these girls are out of prison. Yes. Oh, yes. And so yes. they have been able to turn their lives around. Well, one would like to think so, but I wish more were in touch with me. And it would, so many of them who were my yoga students, I called them my yoga girls, wanted to be yoga teachers. Oh. And, you know, it just like back in uh, 1992, when this was happening, that was just when the yoga wave was roiling across America. You know, it was really becoming big. And we had to deal with doing what we call damage control from the evangelicals. They, this was in central Florida where I was teaching. I actually had to drive for hours to get there every week. And so these girls, some of them were, well, how's this going to be with my religion? You know, they're, they're devoted um, Christians. But... I said it has nothing to do with, with being against your religion. And the, the evangelicals at that time were not educated about that yoga is not a religion. In the early days, there was a lot of trouble with that in the South. Probably not in L.A. where you guys are. Yeah. <laughs> but in the South, we had a lot of problems uh -huh. with yeah. people pointing fingers and whatnot. Even my art. My art has been called because I 
deal with people in their spirit bodies. I, I paint people and I sculpt people without clothes. They're in their spirit bodies. And, you know, I've, been, I've had the finger pointed at me that, you know, it's more sexual than it is. It's not sexual. It's spiritual. Mm. Well, on a different note, um, one of your main focuses now is on ecology and on our environment and how we as animals respond to that. How is protecting the natural world, including the Earth's ecology, called modern spirituality? Right. I'm so glad you asked that. Thank you. Well, that is my latest book, Hybrid Vigor. Hybrid Vigor is basically a declaration. I call it a reveal of love. And love by claiming that we humans are animals and that we have a lot to learn from our brothers and sisters, our animals, our fellow creatures, the moths, the turtles, the dolphins, the bears, the birds, every, every creature. If we really look at their essence, we have so much more in common with them than differences. And if we just take, for instance, a turtle, a turtle to me is one of the most sacred of the animal totems. And Native Americans call this earth Turtle Island. They have their belief that this earth was brought into existence on the back of a turtle. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And that's something that I painted in my young 20s. I didn't even know this myth. That's why myth and, you know, consciousness, it's so intertwined. I had this urge to paint this beautiful painting of a woman standing on top of a sea turtle and she was holding this new earth that was just being born and and and, and then later on i found out that that was a myth of the not only the native americans but many indigenous people throughout the world so turtle when you think of how the shell is so much a part of the turtle that it's impervious to negativity it can't be hurt really i mean if some if, if it's like the four agreements says i mean don't take everything so personally why do we always have to take things so personally and the turtle doesn't the turtle just keeps going steadily steadfast forward each step really sure of itself and it can't look behind it even if it wanted to it's face literally can't turn around and look behind its shell. It's, it's an amazing symbolism. Absolutely. And I take, yeah. And to me, the ecology, the sacredness of our new spirituality is for us blended family of, of humanity to lift ourselves up to a new form of mankind, which I called spiritus, homo spiritus, instead of homo sapiens. Why should we think so much? Let's be homo spiritus. Let's get uh -huh. into our spiritual connection. Let's remember that we are part of this earth, even though we may reach the realms of outer space, like Elon Musk and SpaceX and everybody, Bezos and everybody's doing. Richard Branson is the latest thing. It's the, it's the, I'm a Trekkie. I'm a Trekkie from way back uh -huh. when. I, <laughs> I, to I totally think that space is so important. But yet we are from this earth. So the new ecology is to claim our right of being evolved and enlightened animals. And how would you define modern spirituality? 
Well, I think modern spirituality is to get out of the head, which is the sapiens, into the heart, which is the spirit connection, the spiritus part of us. And if more people could just feel the connection with what this earth is, instead of thinking about it all the time, trying to analyze it, trying to have their opinions be so important and more important than the other guy, and just to feel connected, like the way the plants do, and the animals do, and the minerals do. They don't sit around and discuss and, and have wars. They feel the connection. So I think our, our minds have, uh, have to be more spiritualized. And the new ecology is about spiritualizing one person at a time. And that's my passion. That's the whole reason that I go public with art and writing and podcasting and speaking. And I just hope to affect one person at a time. Even if I had a whole lifetime and I only affected one person in a positive way, I would say I contributed to the spiritualization of, of our family, our human family. <laughs> That's so beautiful. I love that statement, just affecting one person. And I know you've affected many more than that with your art and your children and everybody. But why do you think as humans, we've forgotten that we are animals and how does emulating certain animal behavior help humankind evolve to be a better species? Well, I remember when I was a child, I was not raised to embrace the fact that bodily functions could be talked about. And certainly in my early years as being a, a society intermingling person, you could not talk about death unless very shaded and guarded tones and mostly offering condolences. And today we're changing, we're evolving, we're transforming, and we have elevated our understanding. Like I'll give you an example. Being a botanical illustrator, several hundred years ago, if you look at the botanical illustrations that were considered very, very detailed, they were like, they had Vaseline rubbed in their eyes. They couldn't see the articulations of the plants. They just did not get it. But yet when you see one of my uh, scientific drawings or anybody who's well-trained or had the experience to do as many as I did, everything is crystal clear, pinpointed. It's almost like you're looking at a plant through a magnifying glass. And that's called evolution of consciousness. So <laughs> as a mm -hmm. species, we have evolved from, even if you look at art, like several hundred years ago, nobody used perspective. They just thought everything was a flat plane. They didn't know about 3D stuff. Uh, that's fairly new invention in art. Mm -hmm. And so when you take it into the realm of philosophy or thinking, people have been analyzing way too much. When, when, they, when, when you talk about something as simple, really, as feeling connected to the earth, People politicize it or they turn it into a, a religious argument or they turn it into a this or a that or, or, you know, God forbid you get into the economics, you know, like, whoa, if that was a big hindrance for going solar and, and uh, wave energy and wind energy for years because they didn't think it would be economical. But now they're seeing, hey, you know, we have to. So people have just been in their heads too much. I mean, like I said before, homo sapiens is really 
on its way out. Homo spiritus, where we have the connection of the head and the heart, is the answer for our future, one person at a time. It's not going to happen overnight. So what, which animals do you think we should be emulating, really? Well, I think everybody has to choose their own, but my favorites are my favorites. Now, you probably could say whatever. You know how people are either a cat person or a dog person? Yeah. <laughs> I've always been both. I've, but then I got an allergy as, a, as an adult. But as a child, I always had cats and dogs. Today, I have neither because I'm a traveling freak and I don't want to be burdened with an animal or feel guilty. It's, it has to stay with the vet. But in my book, Hybrid Vigor, the very first animal I chose is my all-time favorite. And it's my sea totem, which is the dolphin. Oh. And I talk about how I actually tested them because we live in a warm area here in Florida. I drew them to me just by willing them to come. I, I didn't even send out any audible sound. I sent out a willing invitation in my mind using a very calming ancient mantra. And they came to me. And so that's how I begin the book. And, and so I, of course I picked my favorite animals and dogs. I was, my life was saved by a dog, a strange dog that I had never met before and never knew after it had saved my life. And the great blue heron, which to me stands for being strong and sure, even in the winds of adversity, because that's what those birds do. They stand on one leg. I've seen them in the middle of a winter storm and they'll just have their little beaks pointed right into the wind and the wind could be going 20, 30 miles an hour. And it's just like blowing like a branch, but it's, it's going to stay there. It's not going to fly away because it's safer being secured to the earth. And I also like the analogy of going to the light that moths present. Moths that, that the scientists do not to this day really know why do moths go to the light. Well, even to the point of suicide, sometimes they have to get into the light. So sometimes they dive into a campfire or somebody's candle. Surely you've seen that. And you wonder, mm -hmm. how can these moths be so crazy? But if we just not think about going into the light to the extreme that we're going to hurt ourselves, but thinking of consciousness and love as being the light, as opposed to the darkness of fear and and not knowing and anxiety, which a lot of people have these days and confusion. To me, it's very important to always strive to go toward the light, no matter what. That's beautiful. Why is it you think that there's so much confusion and divisiveness and how it's become so prevalent in the world today? And what can each person do individually to help heal our world? Well, I am so glad you asked that because everybody wants to know that. And I've thought a lot about it. And I think that this is a golden opportunity that the sacred consciousness that permeates our universe, which some people call God, and I am not adverse to calling it God, but I like calling it the divine. The consciousness that is just so mysterious, the Native Americans call great spirit or the mystery. I think that we're being given this opportunity because we're having a crisis. And I myself am a recovering addict. And I know 
that before I changed my life from my journey in the dark, I had to have a bottom. I had to have a crisis. And people like me, uh, I mean, I think everybody has a little bit of the attic in them, but people like me, we go to extremes. We're like moths. <laughs> we go to the extreme, to, almost to the point of killing ourselves sometimes. And those of us who are lucky enough to get help with the spiritual fellowship of the 12 steps, we can be saved and come into the light of love. But I believe that what's happening in our society now is our bottom. This is a bottom that was handed to us as a result of all these different things that happened. And there's no one to blame. There's no party to blame. It just is. It's just what's happening. Then the main issue is what are we going to do about it? Well, for me, I am an activist. I'm a spirit activist. And I put out twits, twits, <laughs> I call them twits. I put out tweets every day as much as I can about love. I never engage in a controversy. I never put out um, uh, somebody's criticism. No, I never put out uh, uh, dissing somebody or unpopular this. Or I just put out love, 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 because love is the antidote. My motto is very simple. It's love is the weapon of mass illumination. And that's the motto I started with when I published my first book, which is my art book. It's like a manifesto. It's called We Are One. And that's what I truly believe, that we are all one. And I don't mean that to be um, a symbolic thing. It truly is something that can be proven scientifically. But we are all one in our consciousness, in our, in our endeavors to have a good and better experience, not only for ourselves here, but for our children and our grandchildren for generations to come. Like I've been uh, a recycler and a composter since I very first became aware of that that would help. And I think every person, if they could be just a composter and a recycler and a kind person and a loving person when they had the choice and not worry and not add to the confusion and not to say, oh, it's terrible, this terrible time we have. I think it's great. I think it's wonderful that we're having all these opportunities for exhibiting love. Mm. That's Beautiful. what I think. I think that's yeah. a great solution. Yeah. yeah. And um, can you talk also about the body, mind, and spirit balance and its importance and about each person's inner power? Well, yoga, of course, is my path. And I call myself a, a Christian Sufi soldier. And I was raised Christian, but I got interested in Eastern mysticism. And I, I started doing yoga with my body because of the scoliosis when I was a teenager. And once you start moving with asanas, the poses, your spine um, ignites certain energy centers, which are called the chakras, probably. We could have a whole podcast about the chakras. Mm -hmm. But once this energy has been released in your body, there's this natural craving to know the sacred in life. So even if somebody just starts with just wanting really ripped abs, so they start going to yoga class, <laughs> which a lot of people do, they'll start off that way. And if they stick with yoga, they'll realize, wow, I really want to know more. Where does this ancient science come from that has to do with the body, 
the mind, and the spirit, all being connected by the breath. So a real interested yoga student with a good teacher and reading good books and looking at all my yoga videos on YouTube, because I go through all the chakras one by one, explaining how the body, mind, and spirit comes together with yoga. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to get out on the mat and do uh, you know, down dog or, or flip and flip yourselves out into a pretzel. You can do the yoga of having a beautiful family, the yoga of preparing a nice meal, the yoga of being kind to your friends, the yoga of never saying a nasty, unnecessary word, the yoga of being patient. There's so many different ways because yoga just means the union which is the body, the mind, and the spirit. And if we give energy to all three of those, like on a bad day, I'll say to myself, hmm, I feel a little out of balance. What do I need to give attention to? Well, my mind is very stimulated because here I am on the podcast. And my body is okay because I just did a, a couple of sun salutes before I came onto the podcast. But my spirit didn't have enough peace today and it yearns for a little more calm so often i analyze myself it's almost like going through a scan and you say okay body mind and spirit who's in need of something today and one day it'll be one thing and another day it'll be another thing and when you look at your existence in this world as that all three aspects body mind spirit then that is empowering yourself because you're not just an ordinary person going through life without engaging in what is the meaning of this? Mm -hmm. What am I here for? My body needs attention or my spirit needs attention. Hey, I need to get rid of that nasty friend. I'm tired of her bringing me down. You know, you have, you have like a self-reflection dialogue going on with your inner self, which is probably that same little voice that I heard when I was a kid, because it's there, our connection to our inner self, it's there all the time. And so that is the power, that is the empowerment that we can give ourselves, and that is the real power. And I heard Jane Goodall talking about the magic of life, and I love Jane Goodall. And when she talks about the magic of life, she defined it as just being aware of the power of being alive. It's so true. It's just awesome. So yeah. true. I was actually going to use that word because what you said was very powerful. And you mentioned your books. You have four nonfiction books, correct? Right. Um, mm -hmm. Hybrid Vigor, Zen Love. Yes in the eye with the eye as a capital I in quotes, and we uh -huh. are one. Mm -hmm. you, they're in different subjects. Can you elaborate a little bit on each of them? Right. So I'll start at the very first. And I just mentioned we are one, which is my manifesto. It's, it's a compilation of, of images. I call it uh, verse and vision, <laughs> because I have just a few words so that you can dive into these images that I have created, which are basically interspecies and interconnectedness themed so that you can feel the same as if you were a tree or if you were a fish or if you were a cloud or if you were a, a, a new type of species that is all these connected. 
And um, I've always painted like this ever since I was a child, ever since I learned how to draw. And when I was a botanical illustrator, I learned how to draw really well. So all I have to do is have the vision and I can draw it as if I had models in front of me depicting. Um, so that's my first book, We Are One. And that is a, a beautiful bound book. It looks very arty because it's uh, with black paper and the uh, paintings are just pop off the, the page. That you, and, that you painted, of course. Yes, I painted and I photographed them and then I painted on top of the photographs and there are three generations of, of work. So it's, mm. a, it's a very interesting, and then there's a little introduction and that they're all available on Amazon and they're all self-published because I got so tired of all these rejections. I just said, fiddlesticks. I'm not <laughs> waiting for any publisher to say, okay, the world is ready for you. And so the first of my nonfiction books is about the teaching the girls in prison. That's in the eye. And I, I got a wonderful endorsement from Yann Martel, who's the author of uh, The Life of Pi. Oh. Because when Life of Pi came out and he won the Booker Award, I was so smitten with that book. I wrote uh, the author, Yann Martel, in care of his publisher, and he got in touch with me. He called me and he said, Tessa, the world needs as many spiritual books as it can get. Keep writing. Don't wait for the publishers. Just keep writing and keep do your thing. So Yen gave me the, the most incredible um, endorsement for that book because I asked him, we've, we've kept in touch and I've actually visited him in his personal place in Canada. That's and then beautiful. The next book, I love that book so much. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's so, oh. much, so much richer than the movie. And Oh yeah. The movie didn't, the movie was, how can you, know, you make for, it into a movie though? It has to be I know, but in, the, your, it, in your head. You know. I thought it did pretty well for an Academy Award winning movie, you know, but, yeah. but it, yeah. it left out important places, that's for sure. Yeah. So the second book, uh, nonfiction, nonfiction creative book, but my third published book is Zen Love. And that's the journey of the true story of my family, how I spiritually raised a step family with many disparate uh, arguments and differences and it's almost like the, it is the, the microcosm of what we're going through in today's world and how I dealt with it and basically the way you deal with it is you learn to be uh, an expert at detachment <laughs> and detachment is an art in itself I had to learn and the life of pi is actually a great lesson about detachment because if you remember pi eventually had to go live in this little auxiliary boat away from the big boat where the tiger was right <laughs> so that that's a perfect example of detachment when you remove yourself even just psychically from the immediacy or the danger of of being emotionally distraught so zen love has a lot to do with learning how to detach from bad situations and making lemonade out of lemons <laughs> mm -hmm. And then the final book, which I think is the most um, pertinent in today's world, and it really talks about the ecology of this new earth and how we must spiritualize not only ourselves, but as many people as we can, however we can affect them, is hybrid vigor. And hybrid vigor is a biological term. And it means, basically, you take two different um, members of the same species, 
that have good, wonderful qualities, bring them together, crossbreed them, and you, voila, have a better and more sturdy and more uh, able to survive new uh, subspecies. Mm. That's wonderful. Thank you for that explanation of all the books. And I look forward to all of them. I think we should all grab all of them. As do I. That sounds like a good idea. Yeah. (laughs) And we want to let our listeners know that Tezza's website, tezzalord.com, is fantastic. And I urge our listeners to check it out because you can see the paintings and the sculptures. You can see the botanical illustrations. Everything's on there. And there are lots of other things to read and see. And also Tezza's podcast is called Z Lord. And you can contact her if you want to at dearteza at gmail.com. And thanks so much for being with us today, Tezza. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It was so much fun. And and I hope you invite me back again so we can talk about all these things we just skirted over. Yeah, maybe we need so much more. Yeah, maybe we need to do chakras. That really interests me a lot. Yeah. And we also want to invite our listeners to visit our website, lateboomers.biz, B-I-Z, and drop us a line and tell us how you are listening to our podcast. Also, please follow us on Instagram at I am Kathy Worthington and at I am Mary Elkins and on our Late Boomers account. Thanks again, Tezza. Well, thank you. It was really a pleasure to meet you, Bruce. A pleasure for (laughs) us too. Thank you for joining us on Late Boomers the podcast that is your guide to creating a third act with style, power, and impact. Please visit our website and get in touch with us at lateboomers.biz. If you would like to listen to or download other episodes of Late Boomers, go to ewnpodcastnetwork.com. This podcast is also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most other major podcast sites. We hope you make use of the wisdom you've gained here and that you enjoy a successful third act with your own style, power, and impact. Calling all speakers. E-Women Network has speaking engagements all over North America that must be filled. Are you a gifted messenger, author, expert, or successful entrepreneur that can help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? Our mission is to help 1 million fulfilled women each achieve $1 million in annual revenue. If you're a speaker that can help women prosper, go to eWomenNetwork.com and sign up as a pro member of our Speakers Network. That's eWomenNetwork.com. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is it so hard to make a buck? (laughs) I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating one million dollars in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula 
covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.